0: This morning, we're going to talk together, I'm going to talk to us from the book of John, the sixth chapter, about the faithfulness of God. And I'm going to take us on, a, on, a, on what feels like a screaming history through some other passages in the Bible, but I want to keep this one thing in our mind as we go forward. God is always faithful, always faithful. I don't know about you, but I love the genre of mystery. Anybody else here like mystery? I don't care if it's a book, if it's a stage production, if it's a podcast, if it's a movie. I even like mystery board games. Anybody else for a game of Clue this morning? I just love mystery. And I think one of the reasons I love mystery so much, (laughs) pardon me, is that with mystery, I have these crazy ideas that I actually feel smart because I think I can pick up on the clues before we get to the end, and I have this idea that I can somehow figure out what's about to happen before it does. But I think when we read mystery, we have to be very careful as readers. A good author, a good playwright, a a, a good movie producer puts in things that if we're not careful, we just hop right over. We don't pay much attention to. We just kind of skip over. And then they'll do this other thing. Well, they'll put clues in that feel a little more obvious. And we'll think, boy, I think I got this figured out. I start connecting these pieces. And then we get to the end and it's like, yeah, no, I wasn't as smart as I thought I was. That's not how I thought this was going to turn out. You see, I think sometimes... When we're we're enjoying literature, when we're enjoying a good movie, we will miss things that we don't first see. But when we come to the end, it all becomes clear for us. I think a similar caution should be given to us when we read other types of literature, not just mystery literature. I'm thinking this morning specifically about the Gospels in the New Testament, I think sometimes I've been guilty, and maybe you have too, of reading the, the, the New Testament as if I was reading the newspaper. You know what I mean? Jesus went to this and such place, and he did this. And then he went over here, and he did this. And he taught these things to these people, and there was this sort of, the disciples got some of this but didn't get all of it, and the crowd or the person didn't know anything about what was going on until we get to the end. And I think if we're not careful, sometimes we're guilty of that too. I think when, we're, when we get right down to it, when the gospel writers, they don't intend to trick us like a good mystery author, but I think sometimes they say something, and if we're not careful, we just go right past it as if it's just a minor detail in the story. I want you this morning, I'm going to challenge you to slow down and think with me. We're going to read a story that you've probably heard many, many times in your life. But I wanna challenge you this morning to hear afresh and anew some of what might be the undertones of the story. You know, we kinda of have that history too. For a certain demographic in this room, if I say the words Dealey Plaza, that means something to a lot of us in this room. You, some of you might be able to know exactly where you were on that fateful November day when President Kennedy was shot. To almost everyone in the room, if I say the words twin towers, immediately things pop to mind that maybe we don't think about on a daily basis. I think that's happening for the people in our story this morning. The original hearers of this gospel, when John's written it and putting it, put it together, some nearly 100 years after Jesus or after we turn the calendar to A.D., they hear things that maybe if we're not careful, we'll skip right over. So I want to ask you this morning, can you put on your sleuth hat with me? You know, become a a detective this morning with me in the text. Listen for things that just seem like, why did John write that there? Because I think they point to other things that help us remember maybe what Jesus was doing in this moment, what he was trying to show the people in this moment. So John chapter six, <clears throat> I wanna, I'll give you a hint. What I have in, this my, in mind this morning is there's some things in this passage that point to other places throughout Scripture, some of the Old Testament, some of the New Testament. See if you can figure those out this morning with me. John chapter six. Would you mind standing this morning in honor of reading God's word together? I promise I won't make you stand long you realize uh, when Jesus was on earth that it was the preacher who would sit and and the congregation would stand. I think we should try that this morning. I'm just kidding. John chapter six. After this, Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd followed him because they had seen the miraculous sign that he had done among the sick. Jesus went up a mountain and he sat there with his disciples. It was nearly time for Passover. Passover the Jewish festival. Jesus looked up and he saw a large crowd coming towards him. He asked Philip, where will we buy food to feed all of these people? Jesus said this to test him for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, more than a half year's salary worth of food wouldn't be enough for each person to have just a little bit. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said, a youth here has five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that for a crowd like this? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass there. They sat down, about 5,000 of them. Then Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he he distributed it to those who were sitting there. He did the same with the fish, each getting as much as they wanted. And when they had plenty to eat, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover pieces so that nothing will be wasted. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets of pieces of five barley loaves that had been left over by those who had eaten. When Jesus saw... I'm sorry, when the people saw that he had done a miraculous sign, they said, this is truly the prophet who is coming into the world. Jesus understood that they were about to come and force him to be their king. So he took refuge again, alone on the mountain. Let's pray. Father, we've heard your word this morning. And I pray that in these moments, your Holy Spirit would come that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, may we be reminded of your faithfulness throughout the generations. May we be reminded this morning that you are faithful. That Lord, on this journey, when we offer to you the little that we have, when, when, when when we give you what seems to be such an insignificant part, you are able to take it and do mighty things. Lord, I pray for myself this morning that you would get me out of the way, that your spirit would speak clearly to the ears of your people so that we might together hear what you have to say to us this morning. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. When I read this passage, I'm reminded about God's faithfulness. But I'm also reminded of some other things. When I read this passage, there are so many arrows that point to different places throughout the rest of Scripture that I could preach an entire sermon series just out of this and pointing to those other Scriptures. But you're lucky. I only have a limited time this morning. And Pastor Mark will be back next week. So just hang on. Buckle your seatbelt. We're going to try to go fast this morning. My wife who loves me dearly, reminded me that I have a short time and I get three points, not three sermons this morning. So we'll see. Let, let, me, let me point us to arrow one. You know, I told you a moment ago that I think if we're not careful, we read some things that point us in different directions. If we're not careful, we, we just skip right over those things that may be pointing to us. Verse four is one of those. It was nearly time for the Passover festival. No, 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 if we're not careful when we read that, it sounds like John is just marking for us what time of the year it was. But I think he put that little sentence in there for a very specific reason. For those who were gathered there, and later the readers of this gospel, that would trigger some memories of God's faithfulness through the years. I want to take us all the way back to the end of Genesis. Joseph has now found himself in Egypt. And because of his brothers selling him into slavery, and him becoming the person that God had brought him to be, he was able to draw his family to him. He was able, when, when Jacob and, and the, his brothers came looking for grain, because there was a famine in the, in the land, he was able to bring them to him and help save them from all that was happening because of the drought and the famine. But God didn't just leave them there. Over the years, the, the Jacob's children, his name gets changed to Israel in Genesis 35, and so we start calling them the children of Israel, begin to grow and multiply and gain strength and become many a number, the Scriptures say. So much so that Pharaoh's afraid if he's not careful, they'll kind of take over. And so he decides, he devises this crazy plan to make them slaves and to make them make bricks in the hot sun without any binder, without any straw to hold these bricks together. And more and more and more, he would make them work and work until the people of God would just finally cry out to God and say, we can't handle it anymore. God, will you save us? God hears the cries of his people. He sees the oppression they're under, and he sends Moses to lead them out of the oppression of Pharaoh. Moses does his best to try to convince Pharaoh to to let God's people go, but Pharaoh's sort of hard-hearted and stubborn in head, and he says, no, why would I do that? I mean, these these folks work, they're great at their labor. They're, They're doing great for our economy. Why would I do that? And God says, okay, I'll fix this. And he sends a plague. And Pharaoh doesn't relent. And he sends another plague. And Pharaoh still doesn't relent. And plague after plague after plague after plague. And finally, on the last one. Except for those whose house had been covered with the blood. The Spirit came and took the life of every firstborn child, human child, and the firstborn of every livestock. And finally, Pharaoh says, I have had enough. Don't just get out. Get out quickly because I'm sick of dealing with this. I want you gone and I want you gone quickly. And so the people of Israel begin to gather up all their stuff and the instructions given to them, bake bread, but don't put any leavening agent in it. We don't have time for the bread to rise. We just got to get some bread cooked. So we've got something for the journey and we got to get out of here. And somewhere along the line, as the people are, are leaving e- Egypt, as they're going on this exodus, Pharaoh remembers, oh, yeah, that's my entire workforce. What will we do come Monday morning? I've got to get them back. I don't know what to do. I've got to get them back. And so he sends his army chasing after the children of Israel. And by the time they begin to catch up, do you remember where the children of Israel are? They're standing on the banks of the Jordan River. And as Moses reaches his foot in, God does what is miraculous and he walls up, he dams up this water so that the children of Israel, scripture says, can walk through on dry ground. And if that's not enough, if that's not miracle enough, as they cross over, they begin to sing this song. But do you know what happens to Pharaoh's army? They drown because God says, okay, and the waters begin to flood back again. And there is this great celebration of victory. A song that's sung to praise the Lord for his faithfulness. I don't know if you've ever noticed this about people, but we're kind of stubborn. And we're... I hate to say it. Maybe I'm chief among them, but if we're not careful, we're we're really good complainers too. And the children of Israel were no different. The Scripture says... On the 15th day of the second month, they had just gotten out of Egypt. Do you know what the people were doing? Complaining to Moses. Oh, that we had died in Egypt. There was plenty of food. Never mind that we were slaves. Oh, that we had died in Egypt. There was plenty of food to eat. And the scripture says, God's sick of hearing it. He says, Moses, gather all the people. I'm going to show you how faithful I am. And over the course of the night, God begins to blow in these quail. And when they wake up in the morning, there's quail scattered everywhere around the camp. And in the morning, there is a, a dew on the ground. And when the hot sun comes out and begins to bake the ground for the day, do you know what's there? The people called it, what is it? We call it manna. Little pieces of seed that they would later gather and crush and make into bread. And they were given very specific instructions. Make and gather just enough for today. For God is always faithful. I don't know about you, but I think when I read this, as these people are gathered on this hill... Overlooking the Sea of Galilee. By the way, this picture was taken this week by Pastor Mark in Israel. As the people were gathered on this hill, and Jesus takes this bread and he breaks it, I think somewhere in the back of their mind they went, Whoa, this feels strangely similar. Bread? Really? What is Jesus trying to do here? What is he after? Jesus steps to the center of the stage and he tells the crowd that had been following him to sit down. And he takes five little loaves and two fish and he lifts it to God and blesses it. And then he begins to distribute it among the people. And when they gathered it up, there were 12 basketfuls of bread. It's a miracle, right? This whole series, we've been watching the miracles of Jesus. It's a miracle. How does it go from five little loaves of bread and two fish, enough to feed an entire crowd, 5,000 plus people, and then there's 12 basketfuls left over? I know how. The faithfulness of God. When God shows up, his faithfulness comes along, and we are able to see Almighty God again. But you know what? The people sort of missed it. When they saw that he had done this miraculous sign, they said, this is truly the prophet who's coming into the world. Jesus understand that they were about to come and force him to be their king. So he took refuge again, alone on the mountain. I think there were some people there who said, hey, listen, listen, listen. We could just follow this itinerant preacher from Nazareth around the entire countryside. I mean, this Galilean is, man, he's just feeding everybody. What if we make him king? I mean, he, he's healed people. Now he's feeding people. This guy should be king. Let me take us to arrow number two. Verses seven through nine. Philip replied, more than a half year's salary worth of food wouldn't be enough for each person to have a little bit. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said, a youth here has five barley loaves and two fish. Then catch this. Again, if we're not careful, it feels like a throwaway phrase. But what good is that for a crowd like this? You know, from my perspective, this seems like some of the the main action of the story. This exchange, which by the way, doesn't happen in the gospel, the the other three gospels. We don't get this intimate narrative between Philip and Andrew and Jesus. But what is clear is, is that there wasn't enough food to feed all these people. And yet, somehow it happened. I wonder if someone sitting there said, what does this guy think he's doing? He has a little boy's lunch, and he thinks he's going to feed all of, it, all of us with it? You've got to be kidding and then I wonder if for a moment something in them went back through the through the annals of, of history. And they remembered a story that's for us in 1 Kings 17. The prophet Elijah steps up on, on the stage and he says to wicked King Ahab, until I say so, and unless I say so, there will be no rain. There will be a drought. Just know, King Ahab, that God will not let it rain until I, the prophet, say so. And God sends Elijah out to live on the east side of the Jordan, near a little brook. And the scriptures say that God every day was faithful to have birds bring bread and meat to Elijah, and he drank from the brook. But you know what? It wasn't just King Ahab that suffered the drought. Elijah was living there too. And it doesn't take long for in a drought for the the brook to dry up. And one day the birds stop coming and God says to Elijah, listen, listen, listen. Go over to Sidon, to Zarephath, to the, you'll find a widow there. Ask her for something to eat. Anybody remember this story? <clears throat> and so he does. He goes over and he finds this widow and she's gathering sticks. And he says, will you give me something to eat? And she says, yeah, I don't... Listen, I'm gathering sticks for what's going to be our last meal. I have just enough flour and just enough olive oil to make one more loaf of bread for my son and I. And I'm going to go home and I'm going to make that, and then we're going to die. Elijah says, I love his boldness. First go home and make me some bread, and then go and do what you said. And then catch this part. He says, for what the Lord, the God of Israel says, your jar of flour will not be used up. Your jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. The rest of the story is this. She did what she was told. She goes and she makes Elijah bread and brings it to him. And then she goes home and she scratches out the last bit of flour and the olive oil. And she makes bread. And I don't know how it happens. I I don't understand all the ways that God works. But somehow when it was time to eat next time, guess what? There was just a little bit of flour and just enough oil. And the next time, there was just a little little bit of flour and just enough oil and just a little bit of flour and just enough oil. And God continued to be faithful to his word that he had spoken through the prophet. I wonder if some of the people gathered in this field behind me on that hill that day saw Jesus take this lunch and bless it and something in their head said, Oh my goodness, this reminds me of a story. Oh yeah, what about the great prophet Elijah and what he did? I love the New Testament scholar and author by the name of Tom Wright. He writes this. Philip doesn't know what to do. Andrew doesn't either. But he brings the boy and his bread and fish to Jesus' attention. The point is obvious, but perhaps we need to be reminded of it. So often we ourselves have no idea what to do. Ever been there? But the starting point is always to bring what is there to the attention of Jesus. You can never tell what he's going to do with it. Though part of the Christian faith is the expectation that he will do something that we hadn't thought of. Something new and something creative. Take a little boy's lunch and he breaks it. Andrew's convinced it's not enough. But you know what? I don't know what Jesus is going to do. God is always faithful. Hey, Jesus, saw a little boy over there. He just had a couple of loaves and some fish. Let me point us to arrow three quickly. Verse 11, the first part of verse 11. Then Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he distributed it to those who were sitting there. Maybe those words sound familiar to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I think the first Readers, The first hearers of this would have been reminded, uh, the first readers would have remembered that Paul was pointing them to something that Jesus would do in the other Synoptic Gospels. There is not in John's account of, uh, of Jesus, there is no upper room experience with the disciples like there is in the Synoptics. But the scholars say, this is Jesus saying to these, his disciples and saying to this crowd, this is my body given for you. Interestingly, the crowd wants to make him king because their bellies are full. And Jesus is certain that they've missed the point. Later in the chapter, Jesus replies to these people. It's the next morning, he's gone away. The disciples have crossed over on a boat. They're on the other side, on the far side of the Sea of Galilee. And the crowds have figured out, Jesus is over there. So they get on the boats. they go across. And when they get there, Jesus says this to them. I assure you that you are looking for me. Not because you saw miraculous signs. But because you ate the food and wanted more. Don't work for food that doesn't last, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. God the Father has confirmed him as the agent to give life. Hey, crowd, listen up. You missed the point. It wasn't just the the miracle. It wasn't just the sign. I'm trying to tell you, I am the bread of life, Jesus says. I want to offer you more than just miracles and bread. I want to give you so much more. I want to bring you to a place of faithfulness, a place where God can speak grace to you even in your brokenness. I want to introduce you to a God who is always, always, always faithful. Can I suggest this morning that maybe this whole thing, this whole passage, is Jesus being a giant billboard and reminding us in John's Gospel that God is always always, always faithful. God and Jesus is calling those first hearers. And the hearers this morning, past the miracle of the feeding of 5,000 people, if we stop short, if we're just impressed with the miracle, we've missed the point. What Jesus is calling us to is into abundant life with him. A, a life that's filled with, with fullness that we can't experience any other way. I love how one commentator wrote this. <laughs> he said, the true miracle is not the multiplication of the, li- the, the loaves and the fish, but the multiplication of God's grace in our lives. Wow. If we're not careful... We run past these little details. We miss the clues that the first hearers might have heard. But if we've been paying attention, we'll hear God's faithfulness again. Now, for those of you who've been in the church for a long time, I turned 45 a few weeks ago. I've been in church 45 years. Like the Sunday after I was born, mom and dad took me to church. And I've been really familiar with this story for a long time. I mean, I'm so old, I remember when we used to, in children's Sunday school class, we used to have flannel boards. Anybody else remember flannel boards and flannel graphs? And I think for those of us who've been around the church for a long time, if we're not careful, we miss a message that we need to hear again. The very same God who in the form of Jesus stood on this hill is the very same God who was in the Passover and the crossing of the Red Sea, the very same God who supplied manna and quail in the desert, the very same God who was with Elijah and the, and the widow at Zarephath. He was the very same God who was with Jesus. The day he fed the 5,000. The very same God who was with Jesus as he hung on Calvary's cross. The very same God who called him into life of resurrection. It's the very same God who's been faithful to us through the generation. But church, can I be honest? I think sometimes We get so cozy and so comfortable with this God that we forget. We get so busy in our lives and raising kids and going to work and doing all the things that we do in life that we might be tempted to forget that God is always faithful. My friends, I'm just crazy enough to believe this morning that Jesus Christ is the bread of life and he's calling us into a deeper faith relationship with him and make no mistake here this morning, church. I don't care how long we've been walking with him. I think there's an opportunity for us to go deeper for us to get our our fingers dug in and to go deeper with God and to become more Christ-like. Can I challenge us this morning? Let's not just walk out of here impressed by the miracles. Let's dig into him this morning. Let's relive again his faithfulness to us day in and day out. Because you know what? I think when Christ looks at you and me, I think all that's in his eyes is love. Oh, he sees it all. But I don't think our sin, our brokenness, our shortcomings, our failures, scare him one little bit. Jesus just says, come. Come. Let me show you a deeper way. I am the bread of life, he says. A bread that will never, ever, ever spoil. Because it represents a God who is always, always, always faithful. In a moment, I'll ask the servers to come. Not yet. But in a moment, I'm going to ask the servers to come. And we're going to celebrate together the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, sometimes called the Meal of Thanksgiving. We'll hold in our hands the symbols of broken body and shed blood as a reminder of what Christ did on Calvary. But I hope this morning for us it's more than just bread and juice. I hope in light of what's happened on on that hill that we're invited into a deeper understanding of God who is always faithful, who loved us so much that He sent His only Son so that you and I might be in a relationship with